Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Absolutely, one of the worst days ever because I'd rear-ended. I was, I was, you know, I'd underestimated the time. I think as everybody does of getting there, and I was driving quite fast, and I'd lost concentration at one moment in a long queue of cars and rear-ended the car in front, and I had one of those, you know, classic English kind of men who just wanted to take, swap insurance numbers and, yeah. and talk about the damage and you know it's just I just I have to get going I'm on, on stage in like 20 minutes I arrived at Glastonbury managed to park and then went to the gate and I said I'm going to Crow's Nest and they said oh right mate and I Right over there, <laughs> on the distance. I was, but at this stage, I was already five minutes late for the. So I had to jog across oh. in the heat, and the, oh. it was just. And I arrived there like completely dripping wet, and then they said, "Right, you're on." <laughs> so, uh, hi everybody. Sorry I'm late. Um, okay, the QI manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it was, and then it and was you very. Them dead. You were brilliant. And then the, the problem was, I, I sort of wasn't in the mood. So I oh, I'll, I'll drive home again. So it's like the one I drove home that afternoon thinking, oh. Glastonbury, I've really, really done this badly. <laughs> oh. Anyway, let's begin. Hello and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. As usual, we're gathered around the kitchen table in the luxurious offices of Unbound, the website which brings authors and readers together. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound. And I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously. We're joined today as usual by the author and cyclist Matthew Clayton. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> Hello, Andy. And joining us today as well is Selena Gordon. Hello, Selena. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Formerly known as Selena Saliva, it says here. Oh, my goodness, why true? does it say that? <laughs> <laughs> but is it true? It says it is because yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. very that, true. That's, that's, that's okay. Matt taking poetic license. I think it was quite common in the... when you. I think it's quite common when you first start out as a poet or to yeah. give yourself a sort of edgy name a punky edgy name I mean Kate Tempest isn't really called Kate Tempest for example <laughs> so it's kind of a thing you give yourself that, like a what? you give yourself a name my full stage name yeah. my full stage name in 1994 when I first started performing was Selena Saliva Gloopy Godiva God bless God damn Godden that's what I wanted <laughs> my full stage name to be Selena Saliva Gloopy Godiva God bless God damn Godden and the only bit that stuck was the Selena Saliva bit <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, um Matt says here, Selena is a poet, performer, author, playwright, presenter. We missed anything out? Uh, is there anything you don't do? Uh, I'm really rubbish at playing cello, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do ballet. Although I think I can after some rum and listening to Kate Bush. Yeah, well, so does Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah. I, I should declare, we, we were very, very fortunate indeed uh, to, um, to help Selena crowdfund and publish her amazing memoir, Springfield Road. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, and... I, I think I should say that I saw Selena perform last week and it was the single best 
gig I've seen in about two years. It was it was amazing. So, um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about "Last Exit to Brooklyn" by Hubert Selby Jr. Selena is a huge Gene Reese fan, and that is one of our yes, sort of entry. Uh, it's one of our entry. Yeah, I was qual- jealous when he did the Gene Reese one. Qualifications is that we like to have Gene Reese fans on on backlisted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> And we may find some spurious, indeed, tenuous links between uh, Gene Reese and Hubert Selby Jr., but that's not how we're going to start today. <laughs> today we're going to start with the age-old, that hoary old question. Yeah. Andy, what have you been reading? So, uh, I've can, I, been... can I just stop you for a second? Is it going to be Icelandic again? <laughs> no, we moved on. we've moved on. Yeah. The glorious. Well, we kind of moved on from Iceland, haven't we? I've been reading a novel by William Golding called Spire. Uh, which he uh, wrote in the early 60s, was published 64 or 65. And uh, I read it because... It's a towering masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) I was inspired to read it. The structure is amazing. I'll tell you why. There's two reasons why I read it. I read it, first of all, because uh, a long-time listener will recall that we um, did Sylvia Townsend Warner earlier in the year, and one of the books that I read when we were praying for for that was one of her novels called The Corner That Held Them, which is a book about uh, a medieval convent, the main thread of which is the building of a spire over the period of about 50 to 100 years. Mm. And so I was so enthused by reading about spires, I looked well, I around and thought, I've got to find, I've got to find put me... In, you put in yeah. novel spire. And this is I've got to find me another spire-building novel. <laughs> and as luck would have it, William Golding written one. The second reason that I wanted to read it, John, is because when we... When we were talking about doing Batlisted last year, one of the ideas that we had was that we would talk about, we would choose an author like, uh, uh, for the sake of argument, Gene Reese or, or, or Joseph Heller, and, but you would choose that you were allowed to talk about any of their books except their famous book. Yeah. So you couldn't talk about Wide Sog SOC and you right. couldn't talk about Catch-22. And I remember we talked about William Golding and we said, yeah, we're great to do William Golding but not do Lord of the Flies. Yeah, I, you know, I do The Spire do or The Inheritors. The, the Inheritors, is, which yeah. I still think we should, I'd love to do that. As a, well, I, hope we, I really hope we... One of the things that came out of reading The Spire did, was and, I thought we must... We must did you come out do, with, with uh, Paul McCartney-like double thumbs-ups uh, all over the place? <laughs> I always come out of everything with Paul McCartney like double thumbs up. You know that. No. Um, I, God, you two are throwing me some curveballs. I'm not really able to deal with it. Icelandic thumbs up from Miller. Um, I, I really, really liked it. Yeah. I, I, it's actually, but the, 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 the only thing I'd say about it is that I. I wish we were talking about it in like a month's time because in a way I didn't really... I was sort of entertained and moved and baffled by it in equal measure that, that it's the sort of book that I felt... I'm not sure I totally understood that yeah. and I need to let it settle and then come back to it at some But that's point. quite an achievement for, for historical fiction which is sort of what we're yeah. going to talk about because I also... Um, I've got a historical novel which is a very, just you know freshly minted... Um, Francis Spufford, who is a, a writer and teacher of literature, but best known probably for his The Child That Books Built, which was the first in the, uh, the perhaps the, the first in the new genre of biblio memoir. A, a, a genre, highly debatable. A, a genre. <laughs> highly debatable. Highly debatable what the first one yeah, is. Well, but, I mean, it was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a book about books. And he also wrote a fan- 
fantastic book called I May Be Some Time, Ice and the English Imagination. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful book. Which is a great book. Um, but Golden Hill is a novel, his first novel, and it's set in 18th century New York. So this is New York when it's still pretty Dutch. Before it, obviously, is the great, the great power that it becomes. And I have to say, if you like historical pastiche, 18th century fiction, I mean, it's written in that breezy kind of um, addressing the reader with energy, sort of fielding, um, yeah. more fielding than, than, than Richardson. But it's, it's just got, it's got great energy to it. And it's a fantastic premise. A man arrives with a, uh, basically trying to cash a cheque for £1,000, a, a, a kind of a promissory note for £1,000, out of nowhere, called Mr Smith. Um, and he arrives in New York and, and basically says, my, 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 all my connections are good, you'll have to check. They are checked up. He turns out to be telling the truth. So he becomes a, an object of fascination. Um, he obviously uh, falls in love uh, and pursues a very, the very spiky daughter of, of one of the people who, who ends up honouring the promissory note. Uh, he gets involved in the theatre. Uh, but what you get is a fantastic portrait of a city... It's Manhattan. Manhattan yeah. in the 18th century, yeah. where they have weird Dutch Sinterklaas kind of yeah. Christmas ceremonies. And they've got... Um, uh, the the, the, the theatre is, is, is very 18th century. He turns out to be brilliant, a brilliant actor. And there is a fabulous... At the background of this, there's bigger thing. I, I won't put spoilers, but it's one of the best uh, reveals, which is revealed in a series of letters. The woman he falls in love with. I, uh, I can't really go into yeah, it without yeah. giving too much away. But it's highly accomplished. But it did make me wonder what, you know, historical fiction is odd, isn't it? I mean, you, I, I, The thing you have to remember about historical fiction, I can't remember who said this, but, but it's a really good point. I think it was Ian Jack said this. Because the thing you've got to remember about historical fiction is it isn't history, it's fiction. Yeah. And I found, that re, I found it really interesting reading The Spire, which fundamentally covers exactly the same historical period at the, the corner that held them. Yeah. Covers and the same process of trying to build something at the very limits of what technology, as you wouldn't have called it, but what technology was capable of in that era. And yet, when you read it, you that you know <laughs> they don't overlap in history or tone in any way whatsoever. You could only be reading novels by Sylvia Townsend Warner and William Golding respectively. You know, the fiction is far more dominant than the history. And the thing I wanted to ask you about the Buffards is, you know, it's, I, I was reading a review of it saying, you know, it's got elements, like you said, of fielding in it, and it's presumably got a bit of Lawrence Stern in there as well, has it? Bit yeah, there's de- definitely it's, that. So and is, it a, the, and is it a bookish book? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite pastiche and yeah. this is a real challenge, isn't it? Because uh, uh, thinking of Paul Kingsnorth um, and The Wake... And one of the reasons that he wrote, invented that language to tell the wake in is he, he resisted, which I have to say I, I'm kind of sympathetic to. I'm reading about Tudor England, and I'm sort of thinking that the dialogue is just modern, rather flat modern English, and those little kind of, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the anachronisms that you kind of pick up on. So it's a, it's, I always find it's, it is quite a difficult trick. I mean, if yeah. you're just a popular... Uh, um, you know, Philippa Gregory type. You know, you're just telling a great story, uh, but everybody's dressed in you know different clothes, and yeah. there's a few false suits thrown in there to remind you that you're in. But what Spofford's trying to do here is to write. A, it is a pastiche 18th century novel, and I 
think he achieves that pretty pretty well actually. I mean, I I, I like you know, there's a lot of every you know nouns with cap- capitalizations and a you know there are kind of letters you know that you uh, a couple of sentences just to give you Smith, which seems though curt the name that designates you easiest in my head. I am not accustomed to people being kind. A cynic would say, no doubt, that I make sure I get little opportunity to get used to it, being so preemptingly nasty myself. I find it hard even to pay close attention to any gentle or tender signs of intent, for my mind runs on swift ahead into abrasions and contradictions. It is, for me, like listening to a very faint sound to attend to kindness and go on and on and on. Now, that's a letter. It's not The book's not all written in that high... Yeah. kind of 18th century style but he's definitely what he's doing is trying to make you feel that you are living in a, a place a time yeah. that is yeah. remote from ours and I think he achieves that well you learn a hell of a lot about 18th century Manhattan and as I say you have a story that in the end you do kind of find yourself being very sort of it, it is I'm afraid another one of those books where you when you get to the reveal at the end you have to go back to the beginning and, and reread yeah. the whole story because you suddenly realise yeah, that you've yeah, missed yeah. about 70% of the, the point of the narrative it's actually that's not dissimilar I, I felt in its own way to the spire that the story you think you're reading you realise at the end of the book is not the story you thought you were reading yeah that there's a definite you know it's the story of building the spire but it's also the story of the psychology of a man who would be driven to do that in that era and that's the that's the space that golding really inhabits i mean people always say that tell this story about lord of the flies you know lord of the flies was rejected 30 yeah. times or whatever well yeah of course it was because it's it, it, he writes in a very peculiar register and to recognize something new about how monteith i mean that, yes. that there was the, about the, the fact that there was this apoc- apocalyptic incredibly purple beginning this is the sort of the first ch- chapter, and no, <laughs> the theory is that not many people got beyond that and just tossed it on one side. But Monteith persisted. Charles ch- Monteith at, at yeah. Faber. Yeah. Weirdly, both Francis Buffett and William, William Golding. Golding are Faber authors. Do you read historical fiction, Selena? I don't. I don't think I do. No, I really don't. No, I definitely don't. <laughs> I want to say I do, but no, I don't. <laughs> is Last Exit to Brooklyn historical fiction? That's interesting, isn't it? Oh. Would you call it historical fiction? I would not. I wouldn't. It's it a, is now. It's, it's a history in the past, isn't it? Well, it's it's what it is is a as a remarkable pre- present. I mean, I well, we get we we'll get to we, it in a minute. I'm we'll just saying, I'm just saying, you I know, uh, when you when you read Last Exit to Brooklyn, you're prob- the answer is you're probably not reading it. Going, how fascinating how people lived in Brooklyn 50 years ago. You're going, yeah. whoa, what's it, that I mean, it's happening an, it's right an, there now? You yeah. know? It's an interesting thing with King's North and the Wake. He was trying to make a really powerful point. And obviously, he's he's one of the books that I might have talked about today. I might talk about next time. Is his the next book in his trilogy, which is set now. But he was making a point. He was using all that sort of dislocation to make a point about this key moment in English history, the, the Norman Conquest, and using the language to, to defamiliarise us with, you know, there, there is a terrible problem with medieval narratives is that after Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it's quite, it's quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. It is quite difficult not to imagine, you know, Terry Jones in <coughs> Leotard's uh, pretending to fight the knights who say knee. Yeah. Um, and... You definitely don't get that out of Paul King's North book. I, I mean, so I, he had a point. Whereas I, I'm wondering with Francis Buffett, is he using? You know, it's an interesting. He's sort of using 18th century New York to make points about kind of trade and 
possibly also, without giving too much away, in fact, I can't say that, other things that are relevant <laughs> now. I literally, I th- if I said one word, you would, you would already begin to look at the book differently. It's quite, I kind of, I really, I did find it a very enjoyable experience reading it. I well, I would really like to, I, I hope we do, uh, I hope we get to William Golding. Yeah. I'd love to do an episode well, we should, about William Golding. Maybe Gullin, a, a shout out to anybody who, are we, I'd particularly like to talk about The Inheritors because yeah. it's such a, I think it's such an amazing book. This is the one that's, it's, it's basically the Neanderthal, it's written from within the consciousness of a Neanderthal as the Homo sapiens are arriving. It's, kind of, it's one of, it's a great I, I also want to mention before we move on in terms of the Spufford, what's interesting about the Spufford is the way that it uses both, from what your description, John, is the way it uses both the historical period but also the way the historical was writ- period was written about in its era. Yeah. So, so it's as much about the historical period and literature of that period. There's a TV series uh, that, that's on at the moment. In fact, when this is broadcast, it'll be about halfway through, called The Living and the Dead on um, BBC One. Oh, which, I had a little look at that. Yeah, which is set in the uh, late 19th century and is a fascinating mixture of historical drama but also uh, the way... <laughs> a sort of very clever pastiche of the way historical drama of that period is presented to us. So it manages that's, to that's, be both... That's a, that's a very good description of what Spufford's done. I yeah. Think. I mean, it, it's, it's pastiche, but without... You know, he doesn't... It's not heavy. It, I mean, he's, he's trying to do it in a way, I think, that's, that's, that's valid, because it, it, I think there is this problem of, of just feeling that you're... Hang on, this doesn't really convince me. Yeah, it's just yeah. people dressing up. With the, the, so just the last thing I say about the living and the dead is so the living and the dead manages to evoke both they want to evoke say M.R. James ghost stories but they also want to evoke the BBC adaptations from the 70s of those M.R. James oh, ghost great. stories I really did you watch it Selena did you I say? kind of watched I think I caught like the uh, end of it I yeah. didn't really understand what was going on there yeah, was yeah. A, a girl that was being haunted or something possessed That's right. or something and yet there's something again we can't I can't spoil it but it's it's by Ashley Farrow, who right. devised Life on Mars. So, so is it worth consuming so, uh, Definitely. Oh, okay. And it's and on, it's on the, the iPlayer right now as like a box set, so you can watch Brilliant. it all in one go. Oh, that sounds great. Excellent. Uh, if nothing else, this podcast is worth it for that. <laughs> <laughs> now it's commercials. <laughs> we have, I'm afraid, a absolutely bona fide, we'll take absolutely no demurral here, last exit to Brooklyn is a masterpiece. I would concur wholeheartedly with that. Yay. There's all sorts of things to say about last exit to Brooklyn. The first thing, I want, first thing I want to say, Selena, is uh, I'm going to do something that Matt asked me not to do uh, before we started. <laughs> not more Bennies. No. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. Bennies no, I'm going to talk about the musical. No, I'm not going to talk about the musical. Uh, the journals? <laughs> not the, the journals. I'm going to talk about the journals. I'm going to say I'll always remember where... I was when I read this book, and that was Brexit. Okay. <laughs> this this yeah, yeah, yeah. last Brexit to Brooklyn is, <laughs> is, what, is what I will oh, remember. The trauma of that combined with the amazing experience of reading this okay. book. Really intense well, and feverish, the let, whole thing. Let's just... Now you've taken that cat out of the bag and given it a Benny. Let's, um, <laughs> let's say that actually, in a time where we're struggling with failure of empathy, this has got to be one of That's, the great yeah, empathetic absolutely. novels 
yeah. looking at the lives of people who you would step over in the street. All these people yeah. you would try and get and rid them, of. Giving you know. them an inner life yeah, yeah, and, a, yeah. and a complexity and, a, and a, at times a nobility. I mean, at times the opposite of nobility. But it's just, it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. I also wanted to say, um, <laughs> this was one of those books, you ever like a book so much that you actually don't want to talk about it. <laughs> because that, I feel like I'm still communing with this, but yeah, I'd rather not be doing this, to be honest with you. I missed a tube stop. I, I was reading it, I was rereading bits of it on the way here, and missed a tube stop, even though I know what happens. Every time you go back to this book and reread it, you find something else, you, and, and you, you, know, you just kind of keep well, going back to it. It's one of those books. When did you first read it? Oh, now, here's a story. I was 15, I was willful, I was getting into lots of trouble and I was about to be sent to Brooklyn to calm down and <laughs> I was living in Hastings I was a schoolgirl living in Hastings I had a famous Hastings Brooklyn kind of I had a boyfriend that was about 10 years older than me with a, with a sports car I was getting very interested in, in drink and getting stoned and sex and all the good stuff and so my mum was going to send me to Brooklyn to go and stay with my... to go and look at schools, to maybe go to drama school in America, and also go and stay with my very strict aunt in Brooklyn. And the boyfriend that I had, who actually turned out to be a bit of a psycho, actually, but uh, what was he doing going out with a 15-year-old? Anyway, like, anyway so... Um, <laughs> uh, that's another subject. But he um, gave Different me the... Time, bo- but he gave But he gave me the book. And so I think he was right. trying to freak me out. Right. And I was literally going to go to Brooklyn that next week, and he gave me this book and made me read the chapter, the Tra La La chapter, wow. which I read it and I burst into tears. I've ne- and, and literally threw the book across the room and screamed, "Why are you making me read this? Why are you making me?" And sort of I kind of calmed down. And I think the way it's written, the way it's structured, really informed why I wanted to become a writer. It's almost like rant poetry, the way it's written yeah. in that stream of consciousness way. And it was definitely was, I, I couldn't believe it had been published. I couldn't believe someone had written this. I couldn't believe someone had climbed inside my head and showed me a whole character and a whole world in this really visceral, no unpunctuated way, in a way someone might reveal a memory, like boom, 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 this happened, this happened, this, yeah, this happened. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely informed my, you know, the way I wanted to write and... Um, yeah, so it became my all-time favourite book. Do you want to... I feel like, I feel like we should, uh, even before we say... Even before we write, read the blurb and say what the book's about, do you want to read a bit from it straight away? Because I think if anyone hasn't read it who's listening to this, it'll be so much easier to get a handle on it if you understand the, the, the rhythms of it and the style of it. So, Selena, if you've got a bit that you want to... OK, so I'm going to read a little bit from The Queen is Dead... The Queen is Dead was actually written as a, was a short story and was published as a short story before, um, before the book. Um, and The Queen is Dead features Georgette, who's the transvestite in the story. Um, and I'll just start, OK? The door banged shut and she leaned against the banister until the nauseous subsided then stumbled down the stairs, Tony watching her and out to the street. The sun was hot and bright and light, rammed and slashed her from the windows, windshields, hoods of cars from tin signs, shirt buttons, bottle caps and slips of paper lying in the street. Her gut glowed and she bumped against 
parked cars. But she was moving, moving, and everything got brighter, whiter, hotter. She clunched the railing and stumbled down the stairs to the subway, the beautiful dark subway. Only a few people, no one near her. She folded her arms and rested her head on the seat in front of her. Cool, it cooled. Yes, it was cooler than her head and was beautifully warm. And she would have Vinny again. And the next time, sometime, he would kiss her. And they would go out together, a movie, and hold hands or go for walks. And he would light her cigarette. Yes, he would cup his hands around the match, his cigarette hanging from the corner of his mouth. And I'll put my hands around his and he will blow out the match and toss it away. And we don't have to go dancing. I know he doesn't like to dance. I will wear a smart print dress, something simple, something trim and neat. Vinny. It was Harry. No, no, I won't have to go in drag. We will defy them all and love, love. We will be loved and I will be loved. And the bird will come in high, blowing love, and we will fly. Oh, that evil bitch. I'm far more convincing woman in drag than Lee. Lee looks like Chaplin, and I will dance like Melissa. If only I were a little shorter. Well, we showed up Miss Lee, didn't we, Vincent? Georgette danced around the room, humming tunes in her silk panties and padded bra, and a John sat naked on the edge of the bed, sweat sliding down his greasy body, touching the silk as Georgette whirled round, playing with his genitals, licking his lips, spit hanging from his lips. Then he stepped out of her panties and he grabbed them, buried his face in them and fell on the bed, groaning and groveling. No, no, it's now. Tomorrow. Vinny, yes, Vincenti. Vincenti, amore. Yes, yes, cold. Oh, my love, a candle, soft candlelight, and I will read to you, and we will drink wine. No, it's not cold, not really, just the breeze from the lake. It's so lovely, peaceful sea, just the slightest ripple on the surface. And willows, yes, sea, majestic, bowing willows, looking at themselves in the waters, nodding, saying yes to us, yes, yes, over Sinti, hold me tighter, Vincent Amore. Georgie is a friend of mine. He will blow me any time for a nickel or a... The lake, the lake and a moon. Yes, look, look. Do you see there? A swan. Oh, how beautiful, how serene. The moon follows her. See how it lights her. Oh, such grace. Oh, yes, yes, I do, Vinny. I do, Vincenti. See, she glides to us. Us, for us. Oh, how white. Yes, she is. Whiter than the snows on the mountains. And they are but shadows now. And she glistens, shimmers. The queen of the... The birds oh yes yes cellos hundreds of cellos and we will glide in the moonlight pirouetting to the swan and kiss her head and nod to the willows and bow to the night and they will grace us they will grace us and the lake will grace us and smile and the moon will grace us and the mountains will grace us and the breeze will grace us and the sun will gently rise and its rays will stretch and spread and even the willows will lift their heads Ever so slightly and the snow will grow whiter and the shadows will rise from the mountains and it will be warm. Yes, it will be warm. Well, if you don't want to read uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn after that, what is the matter with you, Selena? That was fantastic. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Matt, have we got a little... It seems appropriate to play a little clip of Hubert Selby talking about what he was trying to do with the rhythm of his work. Um, maybe we could listen to that now. You can't separate music from life. And my typography, for instance, is musical notation. And I see, what I want to do is put the reader through an emotional experience. 
course, what else is there? That's the important thing. Now, what I have to do then is experience these emotions I'm trying to project. And music is a very inherent part of that <clears throat> to help somebody experience these things. So I have to create this, this uh, musical notation because everybody has their own rhythm, and I have, to, I have to make that evident in their own vocabulary. And their vocabulary is a part of that rhythm. If I perceive through my ears a certain world, my vocabulary will reflect that in how many syllables I usually use in a word, how I adjust the rhythm and beat of a line, that sort of thing. And also, it's, it's visual. I, I, every time I pick this book up to read it, you know, the thing, that I, the, the thing I had in my head, the little bit of music that sprung up in my head, was that open cello. We keep talking about cellos. It's the <laughs> opening cello part, the riff of Street Hassle by Lou Reed. Yeah. Right. You know, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that circular exactly. riff that yeah. runs through that 11-minute song. You know, and I totally... I've been a, like a Velvets fan since I was 15, it right. has got a real and, and so yeah. much. Lurie yeah. clearly yeah. borrowing so much yeah, yeah, yeah. from this yes. in terms of, you know, the setting and the rhythm and the type of people he wanted to write about. Yeah. Um, uh, I just thought it was. I just thought this book was incredible. Yeah. But when so. you hear him speak, there you can really hear how the musicality in his voice and the rhythm of how he wrote. I think he wrote in his own voice. I think the characters are definitely people I read that the characters were actually people that he'd seen in his neighbourhood and, and the kind of people he grew up with in a way I think this book in a way is, a, is almost like a kind of hidden memoir I think these are yeah. things that he possibly read or saw or witnessed or characters that he saw yeah. or felt or energies he, that he was witnessing he, I was just going to say on that, that amazing those pages that you wrote he, he wrote a little afterward for the book and it's just interesting he, he said that at the end of The Queen is Dead um, Georgie the character is dying of an OD that's a sort of you know that ebbing feeling mm -hmm. that you have uh, and so I like this he said I initially I thought I would have to be under the influence of some drug to do it I took some Demerol I had for pain and, and this is an important thing we'll come on to I mean mm -hmm. he's lived a life racked mm -hmm. by pain mm -hmm. yeah, he did. but it didn't work next I tried sipping beer but that was a failure so I just sat there and did it one word at a time it took a very long time to write the last couple of pages of that story. And you can kind of feel that. It sounds like it's kind of unstructured. But when you read that passage on the page, you can see what he's doing. I mean, it's, I just think it's, it's, it's lyrical, hard-edged writing of the, highest, of the highest order. I'm just going to read the blurb on the back of my uh, copy, which is a uh, 2,000-and-something paperback, Marion Boyer's paperback <laughs> uh, few books have aroused so much strong feeling as last exit to Brooklyn the novel features a cast of unforgettable characters from the debris of American civilization. Harry the strike leader who during his weeks of power discovers something of his true nature, Tralala who rejects the only love she is offered and sinks swiftly to the lowest level of prostitution, Georgette the hip queer Abraham, the cool-ass black stud, and many other junkies, hustlers, and outcasts who make up Selby's haunting world. 
found obscene and banned in 1967. This is in the UK. A decision which was reversed in a historic appeal court judgment in 1968. This honest and terrible book, as Anthony Burgess called it, can now take its rightful place as one of the major books of our time. You know what? I, 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 had, I had always avoided this book because of my... You know, most of the American quote-unquote cult books that I've read, I've read in the last ten years, because when I... In, in complete contrast uh, to you, Selena, when I was a teenager, I, these, these weren't the books I wanted to read. I wanted to read French writers and British writers more than I wanted to read American writers. And um, what I found coming to this, it was a reminder that you should always be open to these things, that actually referring to this as a cult book, as it so often is referred to, does does it such a disservice. It's absolutely, as John was saying before we came on There's a great thing here in the introduction that Irving Welch has written. And there are real connections between this book and train spotting for train spotting fans uh, as, as um, uh, Welch goes on to, to say he's a huge fan of this book but he just says the term cult though it invests him with a counterculture cool that would continue to make him irresistible to future generations of youth is ultimately marginalising and insulting to a writer of Selby's stature it's high time we all grew the fuck up and embraced and celebrated without priggish qualification or snide caveat one of the great writers and the great works of American and Western literature and yeah, I have to say that is, when I was reading this I'm thinking I'm not thinking <coughs> I'm, I'm thinking you know Joyce and Beckett and, and weirdly Dickens you know I'm thinking this is, this is a, I mean rarely has anybody captured that sort of sense of, of urban life I think, it, yeah, I think it's closer to Journey to the End of the Night, that yeah. Celine mm-hmm. book, than yeah. it is to William Burroughs. Just William Burroughs yeah. happens to be American and do Ben's a Dream. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that's exactly. The, yeah, yeah. They're, well, they're not really the it's, same kind of writer at all, really. They're just it's weird. It's like people put Joyce and Beckett together just because Joyce Beckett was Joyce's secretary, mm-hmm. but actually the books they write are so complete. And it is that sort of lazy kind of... This, this seems to me to be... It, I mean, you know, I, I think what... Irving Welch says is right, nobody needs to make special qualifications. But, but also it's like a little reminder to oneself, you know, when, when, Sully, when you chose this book and um, you told us that, that uh, you wanted us to read it, my instantly flashed on like the um, uh, table of Black Sparrow paperbacks, yeah. American yeah. paperbacks Dukowski. in Woodstones, Charing Cross Road yeah, 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 or, or no. Compendium, Bukowski, Fante, Burroughs, Selby and actually it's a reminder to yourself that you shouldn't one shouldn't be lazy yeah. those are four really different writers they you know, really are, yeah. um, uh, who have certain things in common, I can see that but, but um, I, also I think if I'd read this when I was, again in a, a different experience, but I, I think if I'd read this when I was 17 I don't know what I'd have... I actually think I wouldn't have liked it. I don't know what I'd have made of it. But coming to it in my late 40s, (laughs) I I just thought it was out of this world. Those two pages you were talking about that he he took, I think, years to get right. Literally years to get right. It was worth it because they're perfect. They are actually perfect. You read them and they... They, they diminish Which, and they disappear, you yeah, know. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe we should say a little bit, because it is the, there's, there's quite a lot to say about him and his life, but there's also quite a lot to say about that this is not... It's perhaps important to say this is not an, a, a straightforward novel. It's, it's, it, it could almost be a collection of... Well, is it? Yeah. It, collection I'm of stories. Say, do you think, is, this, is this a novel? Yeah, I do, I do think it is a novel, although The Queen is Dead and Tra La La were both published as short stories on, independently. Tra La La was, um, 
was, what did I write down? Yeah, it was done for obscenity in a trial in 1961. So this, mm. before this book was a novel, the, that as a short story had already got him into trouble. So, um, yeah, I, I do feel that it is a novel, definitely. Yeah, but it's a because novel of, it's a novel, I mean, there are the recurring Greeks, characters, the, right? The, the, yeah. the, and as a recurring yeah. setting. Alex the Greek and the... And the, the sort of the, the, the place where the, the, the hoodlums who hang out in the first story, but it does seem to revolve. I mean, it, it's it's I guess that in a way you'd say it's a it's a it's a novel of, of place. What holds it together is is the place itself. Yeah, that's a good um, and that, and that, that's but it's it's, 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 a, the, it's a novel of desperation as well, isn't it? The characters are all desperate. Yeah, yeah. It's also somebody says in the in the in there's a great documentary uh, about Selby. Um, somebody says in that documentary it's a book about the things that rush into the vacuum left by when when love has disappeared. <laughs> that's very good. You know, that's what those... That in fact, probably Selby himself, he says that. Mm. You know, the, that's what... So what holds it together as a novel is approaching that same kind of vacuum from okay. different angles. Yeah, that know. kind of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what you... Um, um, resonated with you as a teenager or was it the hopelessness and the desperation I think it was the honesty I think it was the brutal I think I could feel ah, because at the same time or, or during that same summer the summer of me turning 16 I was also um, there was another but, uh, da, 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 da. So, a psycho, American psycho Brett as well. Brett, yeah. yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Now, the, here we have two books, both brutal, both violent, but I felt that the Hubert Selby Jr. And I, was the one where you could feel the poverty and the hunger and the rawness. You could feel the with each punch of the key, he meant everything. Whereas mm-hmm. with, with American Psycho, I would, could feel, this will shock you, this will shock you, this will make you squeamish. Yeah, You've got rude. this kind of sort of shock doing it to mm-hmm. make you go, oh, gasp, like, you know, go, Girls, girls will gasp in libraries wearing cardigans and glasses. And whereas <laughs> Hubert Selber Jr., you can tell he's self-taught. He left school at 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got that sort of raw hunger, something to say, and this kind of brutal type writing. And I really, I really like that. So he hasn't been kind of shaped by a university telling, telling him how yeah. to write or what's good or what's bad. It's come very much from his belly. And I think yeah, you can real feel that. He had a real mission. Yeah. He, he's great. I mean, he... He, one of the great all-time lines I love is, I started writing because I did not want to die having done nothing with my yes. life. Uh, this is, to be honest, yeah, that yeah. is a pretty good, <laughs> that's a pretty good hey, reason. Even though he says he didn't know how to go about it and how to do it, and he says he just used to write, he used to write letters to people. That's how he started. Right. That's how he taught himself. Yeah, it was, I like that. He had, all, he had, all he had was the alphabet, but that was a, st- that was a place to start. Yeah. He says, there's the lovely thing he says, I realise that for everything for me is in the story, the people, but I had to do more than just tell a story. You know, it's like no master storyteller uh, <laughs> 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 for... <laughs> Sorry, it's another one of a. It's a running joke for us, the phrase master storyteller. If you want to hear a great story, this isn't this good. If you want to hear a great story, go to any candy store in New York City or pool room or street corner and you'll hear stories that will knock your socks off. But I had to do more than that. I was aware that we all have a million stories. So why was a particular one in my mind? It seemed to me simple enough. That was the one I was supposed to write. I realised that for me, I had to understand the essence of the story given me to write. And for me, that meant to get to the heart of the matter, the true dynamic, and from that essence, create a work of art. So already you've got a guy who isn't just telling tales from, you know, Brooklyn as a sort of an amusement. He almost has a messianic belief that there's this, this is his book. And to be honest, this is his book. He is known for one, for one book. 
And I don't. Is that true? You know, Requiem for a Dream yeah. is a is a famous book. I, he's, the voice is the thing. I think with yeah, him, maybe, maybe you know the voice. If you, I, I dipped into like I had. I got a copy of the Demon because which is like 75 76 the demon which was the comedian Andy Kaufman's favorite book right i lo- i mean i'm a big andy kaufman fan both the in, both the idea of andy kaufman and the actual <laughs> and watching the actual him making me laugh but uh, uh, but but you know that's a I mean, really I, dark that yeah, is a, and that and is and a I, really dark book. again like so many of the authors we do on backlisted i'm 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 fired up now to read more i really mm. like yeah. like you andy I, I i guess i kind of gave it a a slightly, I, I, it was one of those books I felt I knew about. It's, it, it has such a sort of iconic place in, in, in 20th century. I kind of figured I knew what it was about. But it is that, that, is, the, that is the genius, isn't it, of, old, of great books. How old was he when he wrote it? How does it fit into his own yeah, writing? I, well, I'll, t- I'll just say a bit about um, him now. So, Hubert Selby, uh, born July the 23rd, 1928 dies 2004. He's born in Brooklyn. He's the son of a merchant seaman. His nickname was Cubby uh, for two reasons. Partly because he was a lifelong fan of the Chicago Cubs and partly because he considered Hubert a sissy name. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to be in the neighbourhood with guys, yeah, that's Hubert. Uh, so, uh, uh, he dropped out of school at the, age 15, at the age of 15 and joined the Merchant Marines. Uh, in 1947, while at sea, he was diagnosed with advanced TB, which he caught from the cattle who were being shipped on the boat. Um, he was in hospital for the next four years. Surgeons removed some of his ribs. He nearly died several times. He was given experimental drugs treatments. Then he was given morphine. And then he was given heroin, to which he became addicted. Mm. You know, that's his path to drug addiction, yeah, so right? It's not, yeah. And so he's writing, as we've been talking about, the stories that make up Last Exit to Brooklyn. Last Exit to Brooklyn is published in 1964 and is a sensation in America. So the book is published in um, the UK in 1967. Uh, It's uh, prosecuted for obscenity, a very famous obscenity trial, one of two famous obscenity trials in the UK in the 1960s, the other being Lady Chatterley's Lover. And uh, it was eventually passed for publication. and was I'm not sure if it was widely read here, but it was available here after that. Publication and anyway, so in also in '67, Hubert Selby moves from Brooklyn to LA. Is it worth saying that the, yeah. the obscenity trial who uh, who performed in its favour, Frank John Mode, Mortimer, John Mortimer, Anthony Burgess, who we mentioned earlier. I mean Robert Maxwell. <laughs> yeah, amazing the publisher um, but it was it was a kind of a, a, a very like the Chatterley trial only a, a few years later I mean well exactly three years yeah. later yeah so and it was published by Boyers and Calder yeah yeah and Boyers and Calder made a new published it knowing that it would be problematic I think partly because they loved the book and partly because they felt well we have to see through the Lady Chatterley process so Selby goes to jail for a couple of years in the late 60s and uh, he kicks drugs while in jail. And then he gets a job teaching creative writing at the University of Southern California, which he does right up until the end of his life. He would come in with his oxygen tank. One of his students said that the best thing that Selby used to say to them was, she said, I sent this story out, uh, Cubby, to be read, and it got rejected. And he'd, say, he'd always say the same thing. He'd always say, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're one person. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's yeah, great. That's that, 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 that so, so he wrote six, six novels, a book of short stories, Last Exit to Brooklyn, The Room, The Demon, Requiem for a Dream, The Willow Tree, Waiting Period, uh, Song of the Silent Snow is the short stories. And um, so he dies in 2004. And, and the last ten years of his life, he's, he's out on the road <laughs> with his oxygen tank in Henry Rowlands' van... <laughs> Yeah, they were mates, weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Henry Williams, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it's weird, isn't it? I I didn't really think about that until I realised that he only died that late. But, I mean, you could have gone to see it. I thought exactly the same thing. Did you ever see him, Selena? No, 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 I didn't, I didn't. When did the film come out? 1989. What did you think of the film? Did you like the film? Yeah, I thought I went to see it in Nottingham. I was a student, I went to see a late-night showing of it. And I really remember walking home afterwards and being absolutely terrified. <laughs> I really think Jennifer Jason Lee's oh, Tra La La is the Tra La La I was yeah. seeing in my head when I was reading yeah. it. Right. Yeah. A kind of brassy blonde, kind yeah. of Italian. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Polish, but yeah, yeah, kind of. It's interesting that the way they have to sort of make the strike. They have to f- frame. It's an interesting way they have to make a story out of the, out of the what is. I mean, the, the, you you don't get that sense of the structure in the book really. I don't think that. The, the, as I say, the characters move in and out of each other's stories, but um, it's, 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 I think that's one of the things that makes it so remarkable. Is you, 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 there are bits, you know, in the last bit, the um, Land's End, uh, you, you, know, it's, you really, it's, it's well, the coda, as he calls it, and there's lots of, lots of bits of you know, life on a project, but it's, <coughs> it is the same sensibility... But he changes his language. I mean, he does this famously, does this brilliant thing where he, he makes words, he kind of makes the dialogue. When you're reading it, I mean, maybe we'll get Celine to read another bit in a moment. He kind of contracts words and spells things Rolls phonetically, them together, rolls them he? together yeah. in, a way, in a way that sort of works. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, he's also just is able to pr- produce sentences like this, which is as good as anything in, written in the, in the 20th century. This is when Harry, the guy who is the... What did you describe it on the, on the blurb? Harry was co- coming to terms with... <laughs> basically coming to terms with the yeah, fact that he yeah. wanted to suck cock. Let's yeah. be, let's, um, no real major spoiler alert here. Uh, and indeed, that's... But look, listen to this sentence. It's just great. So. <laughs> and Harry's been beaten up by the guys from the Greeks, which is the, yeah, the, yeah. the cafe where the, the action in a lot of the stories revolves. This sentence, the moon neither noticed nor ignored Harry as he lay at the foot of the billboard, but continued on its unalterable journey. The guys washed up in the Greeks, drying their hands with toilet paper and tossing the wet wads at each other, laughing. It was the first real kick since blowing up the trucks, the first good rumble since they dumped that doggy. They sprawled at the counter and at the tables and ordered coffee, and that's how it ends, mid-sentence. It's just... That is Amazing, just straight up great writing. Do you know what the last thing Hubert Selby wrote was four days before his death? Was it, Dear Selena, I'm sorry we've never met. <laughs> it was. I have it here. There's the clip now. You are. No, he wrote on a piece of paper, underlined, list of indignities. Birth, death. That was it. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Matthew, before I ask you for your tenuous link... Did you read this as a teenager? I think I read it when I was a student. When I left college, I had a second-hand bookstore, and I, I started it with selling my own books, and then I went around general sales and picked them up. Um, and 
Last Exit Brooklyn was one of those books you knew if you picked it up at a jumble sale, you'd sell it the next week straight away. Yeah. So I remember it there. It was a book that passed through my hands very quickly. Do you have a tenuous link between Yeah, so uh, I've got a tenuous link, but it's not that tenuous. But I just think it's kind of worth mentioning because I, I think it's funny, which is obviously The Queen is Dead was borrowed by uh, Morrissey for yeah. the name of the Smiths album. And what's kind of wonderful about that, I think, is that the Smiths album is a... Uh, kind of, you know, a call for republicanism and death of the Queen. But Morrissey, being Morrissey, has picked the title of this Hubert Selby chapter, which is about a transvestite mm. prostitute. Mm. And that's very Morrissey to do that. It is. It's a little play in there, very kind of... I mean, you, it's very funny. You've got to remember the thing about Morrissey in, the, uh, in that era, particularly, you know, it's the same Morrissey who'd written a biography of the New York Dolls, yeah. and so the same Morrissey who'd put Joe D'Alessandro on the cover of the first Smiths Absolutely. album from the Warhol films. Yeah. You know, he has got a whole um, love, all these little things that Morrissey was a, was a fan of. These little pockets of things, and yeah. including that kind of New York City yeah. sleaze. So there's one, one final well, Morrissey, one final Smith scene, which I think is quite good, which is How Soon Is Now, which is the li- lines from How Soon Is Now, which are, I am the son and heir of nothing in particular, which is a corruption of George Eliot. So in Middlemarch, <laughs> there's a, a, a sentence that reads, to be born the son of a Middlemarch manufacturer, an inevitable heir to nothing in particular. Uh. He's just stolen that and rephrased it. And that's kind of fantastic. And I just love genius that about the Genius steals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Talent borrows, genius steals. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I, again, reading it, you said, Selena, and we might get Selena to read a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, definitely, please, if you're, up, if you're up for that. Yeah, sure. Um, but you said that that thing about it being am- amazing that, you, that it could have been written, that anybody could have written so directly and with such... I mean, with such brilliance about things that weren't normally written about. I mean, it makes Lady Chatley's lover look pretty, yeah. pretty tame. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, the thought of reading this in 1965 or 64 mm. is pretty mind-blowing, isn't yeah. it? I mean... It definitely whet my appetite for... I, I went hunting after this book when I was 15, 16 for more books. I wanted more books where there was this kind of really gritty... Like brutal, brutal kind of honesty. This kind of yeah. and you know, and, and sex and hedonism in. But I'd never. Yeah, I think I. It, it meant I took ages for me to read women. I think for those those teenage years, I pretty much just read men. Like like I said, Journey to the End of yeah, the Night yeah. and books like that. It took me ages to realise that there were women that might write like that. Or would yeah. you recommend? I've 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 got. It says in the back of the year, reading dangerously. You know, books I still intend to read. I have a little appendix of books I still intend to read. And Journey to the End of the Night is on there. I have a copy that I've owned for 25 years oh, sitting on it. Should good. I read it? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's really good. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it kind of tumbles like this does. It's got that, but, mm. but, it's, uh, but it, it's different. It's, yeah, it's related. It's like a brother to it. A brother to Last Exit to Brooklyn, I'd say. <laughs> Did you... <laughs> Did you, did, Selena? Did you find coming back to this? What, what, what did it feel like? Not having read it for quite a long time. Oh, it felt like it felt like an old friend. It was like, and, and also it kind of reminded me of being because it was would have been this kind of. It was my birthday last Saturday, Happy so birthday. it would have been this kind of time of year. Thank you, and so kind of June and and kind of birthday time and yeah. And so I was I kind of was taken back to the time when I first read it, which kind of reminded me of. Mm. Yeah, and I also as well. Uh, I think I said this at the beginning. 
that yeah I think I think I must have got been really quite heavily influenced in a lot of my sort of short stories and mm. poetry and that kind of rant style that I write in where the page just fills up sometimes I switch the internet off and I've got quite a collection of um, typewriters and I like to write with a typewriter because you don't have any spell check and you can't change anything and there's no word telling you spelling something wrong and I just have to bang it out and there's no interference, there's no flashing thing in the corner telling me I've got a tweet, do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. I really like just writing with typewriters and a lot of my typewritten poems and little short stories of written in that kind of a no punctuation because can't bother to stop just there because you no know, just keep all the mistakes in and I think I'm being Hubert Selby Jr that's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say <laughs> um, do you want to read a little bit more yeah I will I tell you what I'm going to read a bit from this trial our large chapter but I'm not going to go right to the end because uh, I think though I think the last 150 words of the trial our chapter are probably the most beautiful but also the most shocking shocking mm. and also the most pornographic and also just something you need to read in your own head yeah because yeah yeah brilliant because i just think we all see um a scene a different way we've all got our own theater in our own heads that's what's beautiful about books we've all got our own theater in our own heads. so i'm not going to take you all the way to the end i'm just going to start so uh tralala is is feeling great and she's just uh, got a new dress and she's on her destructive thing she goes into a local pub bar place where am i going to come in okay we'll start here so so i i do i kind of picture her as a kind of yeah kind of like the jennifer jason lee character kind of blonde and and, and brassy i really do but um you might picture her differently but she stood for just a second in the doorway, looking round, then walked to the rear where Waterman Annie, Ruthie and a seaman were sitting. She stood beside the seaman, leaned in front of him, and smiled at Annie and Ruthie, then ordered a drink. The bartender looked at her and asked if she had any money. She told him it was none of his goddamn business. My friend here is going to pay for it, won't you, honey? The seaman laughed and pushed the bill forward, and she got her drink and sneered at the ignorant son-of-a-bitch bartender, the rotten scumbag. And Annie pulled her aside and told her if she tried cutting her throat, she'd dump her guts on the floor. Mean Ruthie's going to leave as soon as Jack's friend comes, and if you screw it up, you'll be a sorry son-of-a-bitch. Charlie yanked her arm away and went back to the bar and leaned against the seaman and rubbed her tits against his arm. He laughed and told her to drink up. Ruthie told Annie, you better not bother with her. Fred will be here soon and we'll go. And they talked with Jack and Tralala leaned over and interrupted their conversation and snarled at Annie, hoping she burns like hell when Jack left with her. And Jack laughed at everything and pounded the bar and bought drinks and Tralala smiled and drank and the jukebox blared hillbilly songs and an occasional blues song and the red and blue neon lights around the mirror behind the bar sputtered and winked and the soldiers and the seamen and the whores in the booze all hanging on the bar yelled and laughed and Tralala lifted her drink and said chug-a-lug and banged her glass on the bar and she rubbed her tits against Jack's arm and he looked at her wondering how many blackheads she had on her face and if that large pimple on her cheek would burst and ooze and he said something to Annie then roared and slapped her leg and Annie smiled and wrote Tralala off and the cash register kachanged and the smoke just hung and Fred came and joined the party and Tralala yelled for another drink and asked Fred how he liked her tits and he poked them with a finger and he said I guess they're real and... (laughs) 
Jack pounded the bar and laughed and Annie cursed and tra-la-la and wild to get them to leave and they said let's stay for a while we're having fun and Fred winked and someone wrapped a table and roared and a glass fell to the floor and the smoke and when it reached to the door and tra-la-la opened Jack's fly and smiled and he closed it five, six, seven times laughing and stared at the pimple and the lights blinked and the cash read a croon ka-chang, ka-chang and tra-la-la told Jack she had big tits and he pounded the bar and laughed and Fred winked and laughed and Ruthie and Annie wanted to leave before something screwed up their deal and wondered how much money they had and hated to see them spend it on tra-la-la and tra-la-la gulped her drinks and yelled for more and Fred and Jack laughed and winked and pounded the bar and another glass fell to the floor and someone bemoaned the loss of a beer and two hands fought their way up a skirt under a table and she blew smoke in their faces and someone passed out his head fell on the table and a beer was grabbed before it fell and tra-la-la glowed she had it made and she'd shove it up Annie's ass or anybody else's and she gulped another drink and it spilled down her chin and she hung on to Jack's neck and rubbed her chest against his cheek and he reached up and turned them like knobs and roared and Trala smiled and oh she had it made now piss on all those motherfuckers and someone walked a mile for a smile and someone pulled the drunk out of the booth and dropped him out the back door and Trala pulled her sweater up bounced her tits on the palms of her hands and grinned and grinned and grinned Ooh. utter genius wow utter genius and uh, you know it makes you think that it would be, you know, you realise the rhythm in the writing is just remarkable. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that on the tape. Thank you, Selena. There's just nowhere to go after that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, thank you, Selena. Thank you uh, for asking me to come. Thank you, Matthew, as always. Thank, thank you, you, Matt, our producer. And thanks again to Unbound. Um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Backlisted, at Backlisted Pod, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Backlisted Pod, and on our butt page... <clears throat> Uh, on the Unbound site at unbound.co.uk forward slash backlisted. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another show in a fortnight. Can I tell you one pop fact before we go? The word beer, apparently the word beer appears 129 times. I think it probably appears more than that, but someone said that. So if you do read the book, count how many times beer... (laughs) Have a beer every time. (laughs) Have a beer every time it mentions beer. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Thank you. You can choose to listen to Backlisted with or without adverts. If you prefer to listen to it without adverts, you can join us on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Backlisted, where you also get bonus content of two episodes of Locklisted, the podcast where we talk about the books and films and music that we've been listening to over the last uh, couple of weeks.